This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, September 21st, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. The U.S. has agreed to take in additional refugees fleeing war in Syria. It's not unprecedented, and it isn't even a particularly large number compared with past flows of refugees to the United States. Alex Narasta, immigration policy analyst at the Cato Institute, discussed how the U.S. should handle the new refugees. So we had a lot of Bosnians in the mid-90s fleeing the conflict in uh, former Yugoslavia in that area. But in terms of like really, really big numbers, uh, the United States took um, about a million Vietnamese in the 1970s over the course of several years um, and actually into the mid-90s, um, over a million Vietnamese. All right. That, I mean, it seems like an incredibly a huge number. Where did those people tend to settle? So they mostly settled in uh, Southern California, a lot in Orange County, areas like that, but also in the Bay Area around San Francisco. And you had pockets all over the place. So you had uh, refugees resettled in Florida, in rural Florida of all places, uh, some down in uh, New Orleans and that area along the Gulf Coast, uh, New York, and a lot of Hmong refugees uh, in the upper Midwest in places like uh, Minnesota around the Twin Cities. Now, I recall there was a short documentary recently produced about the hot sauce sriracha. And uh, the the gentleman who created sriracha was essentially doing so to create a product that would serve a large Vietnamese population in his area. And it became popular. And now it's one of the biggest selling hot sauces in America. His the company's name is Hui Fong Foods, and Hui Fong was the name of the boat that he came over on. Oh, that's an incredible! That 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 is uh, right there, sort of a uh, an example of the American dream. And now I'm sure he made it for uh, the Vietnamese community and for their particular culinary taste. And now you can't go to like an Asian restaurant anywhere in the United States or like a noodles and company without seeing this everywhere. I mean, I've even got a bottle of it in my fridge and I don't even particularly like spicy food. So it's just, it's almost as ubiquitous, it's becoming as ubiquitous as uh, ketchup. But that's just one small example. I mean, the Vietnamese when they came over, they were much faster to get off of welfare than other economic migrants coming here to the United States. They were much more likely, if there were job opportunities in the area, to be more employed than both natives and other immigrants to the tune of about four average hours a week in addition to that. Uh, The more likely they were to work, the more likely they were to uh, decrease their poverty rates compared to other Americans in similar situations or other immigrants. So you really see a situation where these folks, um, because they can't go back, you know, there's no other option but to be here. A lot of them go all in and push themselves and their kids, and they achieve beyond what other immigrants and Americans do. And of course, they, because they are more likely to be employed uh, and they can't go back, they do the thing that Republicans say they want immigrants to do, which is assimilate. That's right. And learn the language. That's right. They assimilate very rapidly compared uh, to other groups just because they can't go back. And it's not just confined to the Vietnamese or the Bosnians or other groups we see with uh, Iranian Americans who fled that theocracy. A lot of Chinese immigrants fleeing the, uh, China's one-child policy, uh, sort of their, their brutal forced abortion policy. Um, and we see it in a lot of different places. Um, what we're seeing now in Europe and with Syrians fleeing is a uh, reminds me a lot of what happened uh, in South Vietnam when the communists took over. You have a brutal regime of um, you know a brutal regime already there in Syria, the Baathist Party, 
uh, sort of a socialist Arab nationalist party, fighting against a bunch of Islamic theocrats and a brutal sort of insurgency, I think best represented by ISIS, and people who are brutalized by that trying to get out. And millions have gone to uh, Turkey, hundreds of thousands are in Jordan, Lebanon, Iraq. Iraq is more favorable than much of Syria now. And now we're seeing um, many uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands trying to go to Europe. How much difficulty did the United States have in past waves uh, of refugees coming to the United States in terms of cost, in terms of any social disruption that may have occurred from these large populations coming to the U.S.? So the costs are usually fairly high up front. So in the case of the Vietnamese, a lot of them were moved by the government to Guam for processing. Uh, they were sort of rescued from boats in the South China Sea and moved to Guam for processing, then fly, flown over to the United States. Uh, refugees compared to other immigrants do have access to welfare off the bat. They're a resettlement uh, money that's given to them, as well as food stamps and things like this. But what's interesting is they're also much more uh, likely to get off of them quickly compared to other groups. So the upfront costs for all of it included is fairly high. It's around nine to $10,000 uh, per refugee off the bat. But that's mainly just because the government insists on resettling people. It insists on moving them to a certain area, putting them up in a new apartment, and doing things like that. Now, we didn't have these costs in the late 19th and early 20th centuries of Jewish refugees or Armenians who were fleeing because they just came like other immigrants and sought out either charity or work opportunities. There's no reason why we can't go back to that now uh, and save us a lot of these costs. What is the United States' plan right now? For I remember that it was just a few weeks ago that the U.S. had announced, we're going to take a very small number of refugees, and then that number just progressively went up to now it's at 100,000. So each year, the government takes between about 70 and 80,000 refugees, and President Obama has a lot of discretion in determining those numbers. What he's done is he said, okay, well, over the next couple of years, we're going to up those numbers to 100,000. So it's not 100,000 additional refugees. It's just twenty to 30,000 more than what he thinks we otherwise would have taken. Now, put that in perspective, that's a small fraction of the total number of refugees who would want to come here or asylum seekers who can make it here. But I think it's important that we widen the refugee gate because refugees apply from overseas to come here. They don't show up at our borders or show up at our gates or you know show up on the border of Mexico after flying to Mexico. And it's more important to do it that way so it's an orderly process so we can check them out overseas and not have to detain them, for instance, while we check on their backgrounds uh, after they try to get into the United States. One of the issues Europe is facing is uh, uh, Prime Minister Angela Merkel in Germany said that they're going to accept between half a million, 800,000 asylum seekers. Now, that gives sort of a bad incentive because it means that to be an asylum seeker, you have to make it to the border of Germany, which means that a lot of people might try to go there in unsafe situations like in a boat or on a raft and expose them to, uh, to, to danger or harm or death. So it's... I think better and would make more sense to allow them to apply overseas for refugee status and come in and fly in on a bus rather than having to brave sort of coming illegally all the way up to the border of Germany. Alex Narasta is an immigration policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Read more of his work at Cato.org.